important to, to recognize, uh, if you didn't notice two weeks ago, uh, as we came back from our break, that uh, the Martin family are staying for our portion discussion. Now the reason for that is that their young people can now stay and, in fact, I think, based on Josiah's comments, can put most of us to shame with regard to biblical commentary. So I want you to notice, just from a parenting perspective, that they are specific, that they being uh, Scott and Suzanne, are specifically designing their lives around the needs and cares of their children, and this changes over time. They went home to put them to bed when they were too small to stay up. But you can tell, this isn't the only time that they're looking at these materials. You can tell this is a regular routine for them. So I just want to lift you up as a outstanding job that you're doing right now. I'm just I'm impressed. Praise God. And I love you too. <laughs> now, if you have a book, you want to be on page 15. If you don't have a book, Isaac has all the extra books right here, and he'll come around and give you <laughs> some of them. <laughs> um, we have just finished singing the paragraph prior to that in Hebrew and in English. So this... Uh, the, the, the blessings here um, are actually uh, multifold. You know, it's, it's, there's not one blessing that we do uh, simply because um, we had nourishment. There's, I think it's 15. Yeah, top of the page, second paragraph, we thank you, Adonai, our God. So there are actually four blessings, right? We've got the blessing of nourishment, the blessing for Jerusalem, I think. The blessing for the land. The land, and then I think the land is last. The land is 
Maybe that's the problem. Blessing for nourishment, blessing for the land, blessing for Jerusalem, and blessing for... The Compassionate One, yes, and you've just earned the right to be the Compassionate One today. Thank you very much. Together with me, we thank you, Adonai, our God, because you've given to our forefathers as a desire of a good and spacious land, because you removed us, Adonai, our God, from the land of Egypt, and you redeemed us from the house of bondage. For your covenant that you sealed in our flesh, for your Torah that you taught us, and for your statutes that you made known to us, for life, grace, and loving kindness that you granted us, and for the provision of food with which you nourish and sustain us constantly, in every day, in every season, and in every hour. Flip the page, take a breath, swallow once. For all, Adonai, our God, we thank you and bless you. May your name be blessed by the mouth of all the living continuously for all eternity. As it is written, and you shall eat, and you shall be satisfied, and you shall bless Adonai your God for the good land that he gave you. Blessed are you, Adonai, for the land and for the nourishment. It's interesting that we're actually reading this portion, Shoftim, the 48th portion of the year, specifically mentioning that we're going to be given this land, his people were, and he gave them some things that they needed to do and not do, which we'll be talking about in just a few moments together. Have mercy, we beg you, Adonai, our God, on Israel, your people, on Jerusalem, your city, on Zion, the resting place of your glory, on the monarchy of the house of David, your anointed, and on the great and holy house upon which your name is called. Our God, our Father, tend us, nourish us, sustain us, support us, relieve us. Adonai, our God, grant us speedy relief from all our troubles. Please make us not needful, Adonai, our God, of the gifts of human hands, nor of their loans, but only of your hand that is full, open, holy, and generous, that we not feel inner shame nor be humiliated forever and ever. The first in the pink box together. May it please you, Adonai, our God, give us rest through your commandments and through the commandment of the seventh day, this great and holy Sabbath. For this day is great and holy before you, to rest on it and be content on it in love, as ordained by your will. May it be your will, Adonai, our God, that there be no distress, grief, or lament on this day of our contentment, and show us, Adonai, our God, the consolation of Zion, your city, and the rebuilding of Jerusalem, the city of your holiness, where you are the master of salvations and master of consolations. Take a breath. Swallow one. Bottom of the page. Rebuild Jerusalem, the holy city, soon in our days. Blessed are you, Adonai, who rebuilds Jerusalem in his mercy. Amen. At the top of page 19, I'm just trying to belabor it so I get to take a breath. I think it's a little long. Together, blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, the Almighty, our Father, our King, our Sovereign, our Creator, our Redeemer, our Maker, our Holy One, Holy One of Jacob, our Shepherd, the Shepherd of Israel, the King who is good and who does good for all. For every single day He did good, He does good, and He will do good to us. He was bountiful with us, He is bountiful with us, and He will forever be bountiful with us. With grace, and with kindness, and with mercy, with relief, salvation, success, blessing, help, consolation, sustenance, support, mercy, life, peace, and all good, and of all good things may He never deprive us. Wow. I think that's a great blessing. I think we should do it more often than just on Shabbat. 
Would you give us the compassionate one, sir? May he reign over us forever. May he be blessed in heaven and on earth. May he be praised throughout all generations. May he be glorified through us forever to the ultimate ends, and be honored through us forever and for all eternity. May he sustain us in honor. May he break the yoke of oppression from our necks and guide us erect to our land. May he send us abundant blessings to this house and upon this table. May he send us the lives of the prophet he is remembered for good to bring to us good tidings, salvations, and consolations. That really is pretty consistent with your character, and I like that. You guys get the pink box without me. May it be God's will that this host not be shamed or humiliated in this world or in the world to come. May he be successful in all his dealings. May his dealings be successful and conveniently close at hand. May no evil impediment reign over his handiwork. And may no semblance of sin or iniquitous spot attach itself to him for this time and forever. That's you. May he bless the master's house and the lady's house and their house, their family, and all that is theirs. That's you. That's you. That's me? That's you. Yes. Once. Once me? Harakamah, may he bless me, my wife, my children, and all that is mine. Ours and all that is ours, just as our forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, were blessed in everything, from everything, with everything, so may he bless us all together with a perfect blessing. And let us say, Amen. i got to tell you, if you're visiting someone who's actively involved, serious about their faith, and participating in their local church body, and you get invited over for dinner, maybe you don't get invited over anymore, um, but <laughs> you know how that goes. Uh, if, if you go over, and you were to bless them with one of these blessings, I think some conversation would open up. I'm not sure, but you know, what can you do? On the top of page 21 together. On high, may merit be pleaded upon them and upon us for a safeguard of peace. May we receive a blessing from heaven high and just kindness from the God of our salvation and find favor and good understanding of the eyes of God and man. The beginning of the pink. Oh. May he cause us to inherit the day that will be completely a Sabbath and a rest day for eternal life. And on to the uh, white. May he make us worthy of the dates of Messiah Yeshua and the life of the world to come. He was the power of salvation to his king, and of kindness for his anointed, to David and to his descendants forever. He who makes peace in his heights, may he make peace upon us and upon all Israel. Now respond, Amen. I do think it's important for us to throw in the name of the Messiah, since we know that name, whenever we have that opportunity. Together? Fear out and I, you his holy ones, for there is no deprivation for his reverent ones. Young lions may want and hunger, but those who seek out and I will not lack any good. Give thanks to out and I, for he is good. His kindness endures forever. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Blessed is the man who trusts in out and I, and out and I will be his security. I was a youth and also of age, and I have not seen a righteous man forsaken, with his children waiting for bread. Adonai will give might to his people. Adonai will bless his people with peace. Amen. And pass your books around to Gregory, if you're over there, and to Isaac, if you're over here.
Jonathan, every time you uh, said that, it reminded me of that uh, old Muppets thing. Phenomena! <laughs> 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 Muppets on Shabbat, baby, it's coming down. All right, we are in uh, portion 48, Shoftim. We'll be picking up in Deuteronomy chapter 16 and verse 18. Is everyone comfortable? Is it too too hot? Too cold? I don't like cold. As a matter of fact, I can't. And and shouldn't we be able to do so? That's right. Going going to the frost. Deuteronomy 16, 18. All the way to uh, 21, verse 9, what I'd like to do is uh, just kind of go through an overview as we, uh, as we go through some of the significant court, uh, uh, portions. Um, we've got a, the setting of judges and officers, first of all, and uh, the discussion of the forbidden forms of worship. So let's, uh, let's take a look there at the, uh, at the beginning. You shall appoint judges and officers. You shall not pervert justice. Verse 20, justice and only justice. I'd like Gregory to talk about that in a second with regard to righteousness. And, <laughs> I just walked back in the room. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, but he knows what he's going to say because he already said it. Um, you shall not plant any tree uh, that's inappropriate and sacrifice an abomination. So, before we start out, uh, Gregory. I thought your post this week, by the way, if you're not uh, following Men of Torah, uh, even if you're not in the Tariq class, every week Gregory does a, uh, a little thought and uh, drosh, if you will, on the weekly portion. And i got to tell you, not just because he's my son-in-law, it's impressive. Sometimes it's a little wimpy. Sometimes it's over the top. You know, it's just like any other teaching. But I thought that uh, it was interesting that he brought us back to the Hebrew this week. And... Uh, my Bible said, my Bible said, in verse 20, justice and only justice you shall follow, that you may live and inherit the land that the Lord your God is giving you. That seems a little wimpy, don't you think, Gregory? Well, yes, and um, it was cool just being able to kind of look at the Hebrew because that particular verse in verse 20, in this translation, the article translation, it does translate the English as righteousness, righteousness, and the word is, is tzedek. And um, whenever you look at the definition, I always use blueletterbible.org, thanks to Mr. Upham, who shared that with everybody. And they have a really cool little lexicon of definitions of certain Hebrew words. And that one really literally means like straight path or upright. And it's translated often as righteousness elsewhere. And it's just a little confusing if you are reading verse 19. And it says, you shall not pervert judgment, because that word is also justice in a lot of English Bibles. And you see justice and justice, and you think they're the same word, but that one is the, the justice as we think of, like with a judge, where there's a ruling and all that. But this one is the word tzedek, which is really where we get like tzedekim, you know, righteous one, as we refer to Yeshua. So it makes it make more sense to me, because it says that you should pursue that. So when you think of justice, I mean, justice isn't really seem like something that you would necessarily pursue. It's more of like a choice that you have when there's a right and wrong and you, the just way to go is, is toward the right one. But 
you, when you pursue something, it makes more sense that it means literally like the straight path or the, the righteous way, and that's the way that we want to pursue. And then, of course, there's blessing with that, with having the inheritance of the land and God's blessing on us. And the other word, I was trying to, to find it real quick. There's another word, or, or another place, I should say, where the word tzedek is used, and it really kind of pulls, well, it just demonstrates like how it can be used in other, other forms. Um, well, if I find it later, I can You're just bring it up. up. There you yes. go. Thank you. Also Joshua. kind of cool is that um, I like the art scroll translation on this better than the one that you read because literally in Hebrew, it's tzedek tzedek. It's not like, um, and there's no parentheses or commas or any punctua- punctuation in the Hebrew. It's just doubled up. And so it it's like, it can be, a, like it's a point of emphasis. It's mm-hmm. like, really righteous um, and the commentary is also kind of cool too because the way the Hebrew works is um, you, like adjectives like can qualify the word that they're attached to so in this case the Hebrew commentary notes it's like righteousness it's like righteous righteousness it's like when you pursue righteousness you should pursue that righteousness righteously it's not like it's not like the ends justify the means it's like your means should also be righteous to get into that righteous right. end that's exactly what it exactly. Good. Excellent. Yes? I did find it. You did find it. Yes, it's Isaiah 51, 5. In the, says, uh, in the uh, Haftarah. Yeah, it was just before the Haftarah, actually. Yes. And it says, My righteousness, my tzedek, is near. My salvation has gone forth. My arms will judge the people. The coastlands will wait upon me. And on my arm they will trust. So it's just that. Good I mean, focus. when we always think of like what's going forth from Zion, it's, of course, it all relates back to Yeshua. That's exactly right. Also, says it's salvation. So, excellent, excellent. Okay, the next uh, paragraph or so, we uh, we get this. Uh, this chapter seventeen begins. If there's found among you in any of your towns, and so on. And I wonder what how. Is there a, a, a phrase in this part of the text that you think kind of summarizes this one and a, a couple of the next things that are coming up here? Um, I, I liked uh, when we were reading, uh, and the iron shall leave the wood and find your fellow. <laughs> oh, man. I wish I talked like that all the time. Like going into Harris Teeter. My friend, where might I find? Yeah. Anyway, um, so if the uh, if the iron leaves the wood of the axe handle and finds my fellow, strikes him dead, um, I need to run to one of these cities we talked about. Um, but what's what's the whole idea? Somebody dying or uh, finding people that are doing some stuff that maybe we ought not be doing. What are we supposed to be doing? Jump on. Well, I actually. Go ahead. I actually I wanted to just make one more comment about the about. I knew you wanted to talk. The, um, just the the, you know, the beginning of the parsha, right? Shoftim uh, judges, you know, judges and officers uh, shall you appoint and in all your gates. Um, and we've seen over over several parshas now this whole concept of um, of. You know, of judges, of righteous men, you know, leading and so forth. And it just reminds me again of 
the benediction we pray every day in the Shema yesterday, which is the restoration of justice, when we say restore our judges as in earlier, earlier times, times and our counselors as at first. And it just brings back that whole notion of how important it is to have Zadikim who, uh, who, of course, are recognized by their community as such, but more importantly, are are gifted and called and anointed by God to play that role because judge righteous, absolutely because that is that is the prescribed pattern for how God's community functions. And exactly. So, anyway, it just kind of yeah. jumped out at me that you know every day we're seeing the same we're, thing. We're, we're, we're you know we're asking God to give us godly judges that that will pursue righteousness righteously. Amen. So. Well, that, that had to bring them back to us, is really what I'm saying. Yeah. Kevin, we showed that, like, in the beginning. Right. And, and that's that's pretty cool. And, and, and when you acknowledge that there were righteous men all throughout history, and there's going to be a big collection of them in one place, too. And Amen. Great Good. prayer to pray for the next two months until November 6th. That's exactly right. Oh, okay. But yes. I, I, real quick, the little verse we kind of skipped over there, or two verses, the tree thing. Yes. I think it's my dad has pointed out it's particularly interesting and tragic that today in the Temple Mount there are like multiple trees uh, sporadic around and it's interesting it's almost like um, I don't know it's almost it's almost like yeah, yeah that's, that's what the idolatrous pagans do <laughs> it's like a hit me sign on somebody's back <laughs> and there they are right there profaning that place alright so well, with those trees aren't the problem Asherah trees are. Well, it's interesting though, here, I mean, in the English, at least, it says any tree. Um, and the idea is just being that, um, I mean, obviously it wouldn't be a problem to, I guess, to have trees in other areas, but it's anywhere close to the altar. Okay. And like today, like the Temple Mount itself right. is specifically decorated in parts right. with trees. And it's just interesting because you would think that it's like, it's almost like it stands out, like it's intentional. Yeah. I mean, whether or not it is by the Muslims who built the stuff and decorated it. It certainly is attention. I think intentional by Hasatan. So it's it's sort of this. Um, it is almost like a taunt at God, mm-hmm. and it's just interesting. It sort of stands as a consistent reminder of um, that things are not the way that they should be, and a reminder to us of how we need to be prepared. I guess to change things eventually. We know what to do. That's right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> but make sure that the iron. Does not yeah. leave the wood and find your fellow. Yes. Well, as you said, like things are not the way they should be. Um, I've been reading in Kings a lot, and it seems like every time they transition to a new king, they say, and the people were still worshiping their idols yep. with the trees. <laughs> they were still there. It's like almost like every single time with the trees by the by the idols or by the altar, and I don't know what someone's there might be. Oh, that too. We need, we need to start practicing chopping. Is what we need to start doing. We'll be like you know, big manly men. I like it. Yes, I like it. Be big manly men. All right. So let me move us forward. <laughs> if there's found among you within any of your towns that the Lord your God, verse two, is giving you a man or woman who does what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God in transgressing His covenant. Uh, verse 8. If any case arises requiring decisions between one kind of homicide and another, then you shall arise and go up into the place the Lord 
and uh, all the people shall hear and fear and act not act presumptuously again, verse 13. So, uh, we look at later on, if somebody dies and, you know, it's in the middle of a field somewhere and, you know, it's, we don't know who's going to take responsibility. What's the concept? What are we trying to do here? What, what are we commanded to do? When we find someone in the field? Or, or any of this stuff. What are we supposed to be doing? My, my comment was actually just going to be that I, I think it's so cool how there's consistency with the ruling or the commandment because just like the guy who accidentally killed somebody. Right, because his iron has, left his wood and found his fellow. Yeah, yeah, it, it's that same day. So even the guy who would avenge the blood, he still has that day basically to kill the other guy too, which is why they have the place for him to go. That's right. And it's like, it's, it's just about one day. It's like this, and it's the same for whether it was an accident or whether it, it, it's intentional That's avenging right. of blood. The avenger of the blood. Yeah. That's right. But the blood is key here. Yes. Well, this illustrates one of the reasons why uh, some of the Haredim uh, uh, do not want to uh, recognize the state of Israel is because uh, separation of church and state, no matter whether it was Thomas Jefferson's intent or not, it's not biblical. And that 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 the, and that the judgment that's being done here is being judged. There is at the place uh, where God has placed His name. Exactly. So, so there's a there is a integration of of uh, civil justice and uh, and religious justice are one and the same. Exactly right. Democracy. Right. Close to so, yeah. So I want you to talk about that exact issue and what we can do while we're here, what we should be doing, and so on. And the man that you all seen walk in the back is the guy who grinds the stumps whose stump grinder broke on Thursday, who I assume, in order to be paid, wants to grind stumps, stumps today. Then he's looking for that gas can. He could be looking for the gas can. He could be trying to find something. But I need to make sure he understands that we don't grind stumps today. Mary said that. Of all things, we're talking about chopping down stumps, but he's got to wait. He's got to wait. That's right. Speaking of trees. That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's the next thing he's turned. Actually, if you come back Sunday, that will be a get like mitts for me. It will be cool. Exactly. Breeze. I love the sound of lawnmowers on Sunday. Yeah. That's just <laughs> best day in the When we hear those in the neighborhood, we always say, oh, "There was a shopkeeper." keeper. <laughs> <laughs> Either of the extremes. So the recording will get an edit. Oh, no, no, no. This is no, staying no, on this the is, This is totally like, uh, you know, the director's cut Voice, extended yeah. Yeah. This is the one we'll charge for. <laughs> while, while, while Joseph is, is taking care of 
Someone else's <laughs> arrangements. Yes. Um, Getting his donkey out of the ditch. Right. Yes. <laughs> we have we have in the first in the first eight verses, the first seven verses, talks about um, you know if, if a man or a woman has committed idolatry and, and has been found uh, doing something that's, uh, that's an abomination before God, uh, and there's two or three witnesses that can attest, right? It says. Um, you know, it says you, you bring them before the people and you stone them uh, and so shall evil be put away from from your midst. Which was the phrase I was trying to get everybody to go for before. Cleansing that we're going to cleanse or purge the evil. Which we don't tend to do in our country anymore, unfortunately. So, I know we've talked about this issue at least once in the Zadi class, but maybe for the benefit of, of others who don't participate in the class or haven't listened to why is it that we don't stone people today? Because, you know, a lot of times, you know, people who are not of the persuasion that the law still in is relevant, applicable. Right, will often bring up this question of, well, so then the law says we should stone people how come you don't stone people? So does anybody want to offer an explanation for the benefit of the group on that? It's actually a very complicated process. It's not as simple as it might sound, picking up stones and starting to chuck them. <laughs> so what's, why does it say two or three witnesses? Which is it? Two or three? <laughs> Do we just have to have two? Then why mention three? <laughs> and it's it's an implication, and, it, and, and as we know, it's a it's a it's a process that requires it's not just that two people agree that that guy did that it's that the two people can't know can't know each other or have they have to have seen each other see him do it in other words there's a disqualification of witnesses that the United States government doesn't recognize as they would take anybody as a witness and the Torah demands that witnesses fulfill a minimum qualification and if they can't fulfill the minimum qualification, they're invalid witnesses, which is why we don't stone today, is because to find valid witnesses by God's own commandments is very difficult. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, um, Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't remember exactly where this is found, but I've heard it multiple times. According to tradition, the um, Sanhedrin never stoned anyone because they never could get all the different qualifications. Like, there was people... For adultery. They for, for adultery, okay. I knew there was a qualification to it, but, like, basically, it's so, like, takes so much work to get all those different things that just didn't happen. Well, I, I think, you know, to your point, that's not only true, but if I'm speaking to someone who's not familiar with the traditions of our people or with the sages and, and so on, uh, or has relegated the Torah to a dusty bookshelf, um, I would remind them not only... Did they, you know, did they not do it on a regular basis? But they decried those Sanhedrins that did. They called them a bloody Sanhedrin yep. if they killed even one person. The, I think the point to make is that they went out of their way to disqualify witnesses. It wasn't, oh, we got two. Let's go grab the stones. That was extraordinarily out of bounds, which is why it's mentioned in the book of Acts with regard to... And why in John, why John, it's such a big deal 
that Yeshua practices exactly that same process. Disqualifying witnesses was the method by which you showed restraint. And righteousness. And I think there's there's a couple of factors here that play in. For one thing, the disqualification of witnesses reduces the amount of times that people are killed for a crime. The commentary here notes specifically that they actually refer to the condemned person as a dead man. The idea being then that that, um, God is going to judge the person. So even if the person gets off on a technicality, like one of the witnesses is disqualified... God still knows, and he's going to take care of it. Mm. But then I think, like, you want to contrast the justice system of the Torah versus our own justice system. We don't even need witnesses. We've got DNA evidence that's in later disproven 25 years later, and now all of a sudden we've got a guy on death row for two decades that wasn't supposed to be there. Mm. You know, we've got instances all the time where people get off for things on some ridiculous legal technicality mm. or that get punished incorrectly. So I think the concept is that justice is unfortunately something on a human level that's almost impossible to achieve perfectly. And that's one reason why the Torah makes it such a big deal for, like, killing someone. And so what it ends up doing, and this is the cool part, what it does is it discourages people from committing sins blatantly, openly. If you're going to go do something evil, you got to go do it secretly where no one's going to see you. What it does is it causes the society... To not be corrupted by the evil. It causes the society to not be corrupted by evil, and it makes them sensitive to sin, that they would want to purge the evil from their midst. And if you've got a dead man walking around, you're already trusting that God's going to take care of the guy. I think it brings us right back to the beginning of our portion, though, which is clear. you got to have judges who will judge righteously. With the fear of God. That's exactly right. Because yeah, it's, it's no not about it. us, nor is it very akin, I think, to uh, right now our Supreme Court. You then you? Yes, sir. Go ahead. I was just going <clears> to <throat> ask about the uh, subject with Yeshua defending the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. It yes. was because those judges were not present that he responded the way he did. But it's, it's, a, compl- you know, it's a completely mock trial to begin with. It, 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 there was no witnesses presented. There's, so no there's no judges. There's no judges. Right, right. We're not in a court. It can't be done there. You know, it's it was it was so clearly a test. You don't you just to want to be able to get a view of what he was doodling in the dirt. But his, well, there's there's two issues. There's on that particular point. The other issue is you the show was very clear. If you catch, if you find a man or woman in, in you caught in the act of adultery. You bring them both before the judges. Mm -hmm. They came to Yeshua with the woman and said, we caught her in the very act. Yeah, the male was absolutely... Well, where's the man then? Because it takes two to Where are the the witnesses? You can take it as a left-hand... You can take it as a left-hand compliment for a moment that they're going to count him as a righteous judge. That's neat. But then it's so obvious that... Well, what are we doing here outside? But they weren't Where's the guy? Where's the guy? Yeah, exactly right. I was just going to say, and that really shows the mercy of God in the case of David and Bathsheba, because they were supposed to go both of them before the judges and would have been stoned also. But no witnesses. No witnesses. Actually, they would not have been stoned. Okay. Because no one caught them. And I think that that was... But the one who caught them is the one who punished him. Mm -hmm. That was God himself. Um, Yes. So the other thing that I think is... It's just the wisdom of God. Verse 7, the hand of the witnesses shall be first upon him to put it to death. Awesome. What a great thing to do. 
because if I'm going to accuse you yeah. of a capital crime, I better be really, really sure that I saw. Because now the I judgment saw. comes on me. Otherwise, exactly. Because if I have to be the one to put you to death, that's right. And I'm wrong. Yeah. Then what, the judgment that I'm giving you uh, incorrectly now is Mrs. Riley and only Mrs. Riley. Which is why the Torah says that 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 if you give a false witness, the crime, the punishment for the crime that flips you're accusing you. is flipped exactly. to you. That's right. Which going back to the, this incident, what did Yeshua say? He who has no sin cast, cast the first stone. stone. What they do? Drop their stones, Dropped their stones and walked, and walked away. Yeah. After he wrote their name in the dust. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> I got this man. I'm here. Then I'm there. And I'm here. Go. <laughs> That's just the, the fundamental reason why they worked so hard to disqualify the witnesses. Precisely. To make sure that they weren't putting a innocent man to Absolutely. That's right. That's exactly right. Um, I do want to be clear before we go further, in case there's any misunderstanding, you cannot follow our faith and be totally against capital punishment. The two are dichotomies. You cannot you cannot be against it. Now, that's not to say that it's done perfectly and right in our own country. That's not what I'm saying. But you can't just put your foot down and say, in all cases all the time, I think capital punishment is wrong. We should never kill people. Man should never kill man. That's not what your Bible teaches. That's not what your God demands. So if you've got that mindset, that needs to change. Sanctification moment. Yes. I'm um, going back to the example with David and Bathsheba. Uh, one of the reasons that also, like, even if, even though there was no witnesses, mm -hmm. it actually brings up an interesting point. A person who does something wrong, an admission of guilt is not enough to actually try them. The mm -hmm. commentary actually talks about yes. that. It says, uh, is a person executed if he admits guilt? Rambam says, it is scriptural decree that the court does not execute a person or administer lashes to him as a result of his own admission, but only by the testimony of two witnesses. Then uh, Rod Vaz continues and says, the scriptural decree is somewhat rational because a person's soul does not belong to him, but to God. As the verse states, all souls are mine, Ezekiel 18.4. Thus, a person's admission will not help to cause damage to something that is not his. A person's money, however, does not belong to him. Therefore, in monetary cases, rule that defendant's submission is equivalent to the testimony of a hundred witnesses. Well, the neat part is, excuse me. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, but the neat part is that God desires tshuva. He wants us to repent. So even if you've done something egregious, and, and I, I think there's good argument, as, as some of us have heard, that when David uh, sinned with Bathsheba, he broke all ten commandments. You you, you, know, you got a, a nice little sermonette there if you want to do it. Um, but God desires that he would repent. Mm -hmm. Well, why would anyone repent? <laughs> if I tell anybody, they're going to kill me. Yeah. It doesn't work like that. God desires repentance, and he grants forgiveness. I was just going to say, I mean, our forefathers were wise, and they knew the, they knew the scriptures as well. And, and the, the Fifth Amendment is based upon that very passage, that right. very commentary. Right. The whole self-incrimination thing. And, you know, interestingly enough, our forefathers got our Constitution from this book. I think you, then you, then you. And then you. I was going to say that the discussion of witnesses and that requirement makes what Moshe said so much more potent when he said, I call heaven and earth Ooh, to be witnesses. Wow. To, to witness against you. Exactly. Wow. Because that was just like showing 
just how you need two witnesses to try someone here, God already has two witnesses to try you, so you're not out of the water. You're not going to say. And if you throw God in there, too, that's two or three, depending on how exactly. you want to count that. Yes. I, All uh, valid one other, yeah, That's right. Sorry, what, yes. I, and the other thing I was going to say was a great example of, of the, what we just described, where if you falsely accuse somebody, and then it's found that they are innocent, they yeah. do the same thing to the... That's um, illustrated very well in Daniel. What happened with him? That's right. Throw him in the lion's yep. den. And okay, everybody else is and that, Yeah, and then they find out he was innocent, and so they threw the other people. Yeah. <laughs> yes, oops. <laughs> <laughs> I was only kidding. That's right. Yeah. Before they hit the ground, <laughs> they went like that. By the way, it's like the chip. <laughs> <of the teeth. laughs> oh, let's not go there. So. So I was thinking when I was looking here about the witnesses and Yeshua, the, the whoever is innocent, casting the first stone, and then also in verse 19 about having a place for the man to flee. With the with the response to the witnesses, we're all guilty of wanting our own vengeance for something. And in the fleeing, we're always wanting to have vengeance for something that has happened to us or to somebody close to us. And with the... Um, with the witnesses, we should be careful not to want to judge that person, and to allow God to do the judging, not us. And I think if we're the requirements that are needed in order to cast that first stone, kind of takes it out of our hands, where we're not wanting to judge, we're wanting to leave it in God's hands to take care of things for us. I mean, the bottom line is, if you witness something, this is what I saw, and you leave it to the judges ordained by God to do the judging instead of ourselves. And one of the things that's on that point is actually one of the principles of judgment, even passing judgment. Like if, I'm gonna, if, like if you've sinned against me and I want to talk to you about it, one of the things that I'm supposed to do is to work on my own heart and make sure that I'm not coming to you in anger sure. or bitterness or hurt. Yeah, the whole splinter versus plank. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, good. Is that a hand? Stand by, please. Yes? I also wanted to put it in the emphasis on the judges themselves. There's actually different words in the Torah used for judges. The, the, uh, here you have shoftim. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's actually will say, you go to the, sh- <coughs> the, the, the in an sex and then the shoftim will, will, will give a judgment. So, you talk so to the words, judge and the judge. The shoftim is plural, but how many is I mean, how, how many constitutes shoftim? Or it'll say, go to the Elohei, go, go to God. God actually, yeah. the judges are Elohim. And it uses them at, at different different times in, in the Torah, so that that actually sets the standard for. There's got to be different judges that are that that have different categories, different titles, different different areas in which they can judge. And the Talmud actually does a, a great job of saying, uh, you, you, uh, it, in order for example, for a case on a uh, monetary issue that, that, that there needs to be a, a judgment on, uh, the the judge has to have uh, a in that area. He has to has to know how the Torah applies in all the other cases and all, all the facts. Or if it's a, an example of a agricultural issue, one of the people has to it has to be it's called a hazlacha, someone who is successful in that area. Gesundheit. Sorry. Exactly. So he, he knows he knows agriculture. So because you can have a Levite who just stays in, in the shul in the middle of the Negev Israel or whatever, 
and he doesn't know anything about agriculture, and the, the cases before him, he has to have someone who has that right. knowledge and resources. Mm -hmm. So he, he, there's even more focus on the judges themselves and who can actually make a ruling, who can make, yeah. and, and, and how they qualify. And, and really, doesn't that come down to right. judges who are judging righteously? And, and that's the second point, which is all these concepts are Talmudic. The Torah doesn't say you should put this much right. scrutiny on who's a witness and who's a judge. It's, it's there, uh, it's hinted at, at least, but, but I mean, the Talmud does a great job of, 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 of bringing this is what we think it means in the best case and, and all these different levels. Right. So just as much as you can't, um, you can't be anti-capital punishment when, when you read these passages, to a certain extent, you have to, you have to infer how to, how to make a process like this on a national level uh, and, and even for it to have the same amount of divine authority as right. well. In order to, in order to fulfill right. what's being commanded. Right. Exactly right. It's a good point. Sola Scriptura does not work. Unless that's what you start with and recognize that you need more. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Yes, ma'am. Um, actually, my, mine was a comment on Gregory's point yes, earlier please. about uh, Moses calling Catholic. Comment is the phrase you want to use next time, so I know to insert you right, before I the just, other. Just that's no problem. Cool. Give and, me that snippet. Um, right. So he mentioned that Moses calls him an earth witness. And I just I wanted to point out that um, that the witnesses, heaven and earth, are the ones who mete out the punishment when the covenant is broken. Mm -hmm. They're you know the, this, the sky will not get the rain oh, and the ground will dry up. Oh, she's oh, she's oh, she's oh, wow. Yeah. That's good. That's good. I'm first to, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> first to me out the punishment. Toss the first. Uh, that's, that's, that's good. That's good. So That'll good. preach, guys. That'll preach. Yes, ma'am. That's right. That's so good. Well, in looking at this kind of segue off of Greg and Jonathan, um, and all the people shall hear and fear and no longer act presumptuously. Exactly. And to take, you and I pray each day for the election that's upcoming. We've yeah. been praying for two years. <laughs> Lord, please. Um, I'm looking for fire from heaven, actually. <laughs> anyway, as we pray, we, we pray in this stead of Daniel. In a man who was a godly counselor to ungodly kings, yeah. and to understand that even if God places people in positions of power, and we pray from mayors all the way up, that even if God places men in power or in judgment, as these were to be the Levites and the godly leaders of the land, if not to at least bring them godly counselors, and that if they could be someone like a Daniel that would provide a godly leadership, and that as you just said, when Daniel was pulled out, the true justice was meted out sure. in that the guys had to take his punishment, the ones who falsely accused, and that God would grant us not only good leadership but good counselors to those leadership. Amen. And for Daniel, through four administrations, I mean, Absolutely. it was obvious even to pagan rulers that he was judging righteously. Mm -hmm. Good. Good. Alright. Yes? I was just going to you didn't have another comment on somebody else's comment from before. I mean, well, Greg brought up Daniel, but the one I was thinking of where the punishment gets to the person who was accusing was like the whole book of Esther. Because Haman. Oh, back of, on Haman, yeah. Well, well yeah. he <laughs> accuses all of the Jews in one fell swoop of uh, horrendous things. And then that all gets turned because the Jews are allowed to fight back. But then also how he dinged. 
Mordecai, and then that got switched around as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, cool. That's a good point. And I, good I point. think just that is one of the principles that we have to um, keep in mind when dealing with justice. And that's one thing that that this past, the commentary here talks about, and even Rabbi Gintel speaks in his commentary on the book of Joshua, just very briefly, hints at, we can't see God's justice in this world. We can't recognize how God will balance everything. When it says, judgment is mine, you know, don't take vengeance, then we have to recognize and know that even when people get off, even when, and that's one of the things I think is so beautiful about this concept of the way that this Torah structures justice. It's almost, it's not okay if people get off, but it's like if you follow the scripture exactly, and you think it's not fair because something didn't get meted out, there wasn't a witness, but everybody knows he did it. The reality is that's where the trust of God comes in, and, we, and we're going to know that God's going to work that out. Maybe it won't be visible to our eyes in this lifetime, but we have to trust that God is so just, he will balance that the way that only he can. That's precisely right. I mean, the answer to the question, why is there evil in the world if there is a loving God? Because he hasn't judged the evil yet. Why isn't there more evil? Right. Why is there more evil? And that's uh, coming up in, in, in this book. You see the verse, the known is for you, the unknown is for God. And I think that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Speaking of kings that are going to search it out, um, let's move to Deuteronomy 17, 18. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law, or Torah, approved by the Levitical priests. Now, I think that's pretty cool, because I always thought the Levites were just carrying schmoes. They were schleppers. And, you know, you had your priests, and they did all the work. We got the cool goblets, and they catch the... Catch the blood, they dash in the blood, they go into the thing, they light the candles, they do all this stuff. What do the Levites do? They schlep stuff. Really, I mean, that's what they do. They schlep stuff, and they're guards, so they get to carry weapons. I, I can work with this job, this way. <laughs> so they're so, to protect the holiness of the temple area and God and so forth. But I think we just read that the Levites, instant around the towns, are the judges. So they're not schmoes. And they're only schlepping when they're not judging. They do judge. And they should be doing it righteously. It shall be with him that is the king, and he shall read in it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this Torah and these statutes. I don't, uh, I don't know what that is. That is uh, coke. And doing them. Oh, so he can't just read. He's got to do them. That's well. Bummer for him. That his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment or mitzvah, or mitzvah, either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. So, what do you have to say about it? Yes, ma'am. Um, something that has popped out to me when it talks about not turn from the commandment right or to the left. We saw in a couple of parsha ago, you know, not to add or take away to the words. You know, don't stray to the right or to the left. Right. And then talking about the, um, the judges, back in is that six seventeen seventeen, it says, and you shall do according to what they teach, what they teach you, and according to the judgment that they will say to you, you shall not. Deviate from their word to the right, right or left. But, yeah, that's pretty strong. That's how it's addressing 
the commandments, you know, don't stray to the right or the left right. to the Torah, don't add, you know, to the very left. Do what they say, don't, you know, and I guess it goes back to the Zadik, that's that straight path, you're righteously that's going right. on. And his, his Torah is a light to that path. Mm-hmm. It's excellent, good. And be our followers of the way. The Haderic, yes, the way, good. I also like this passage in that it's interesting. First off, he says, he shall read it all the days of his life. Good encouragement to us to be in the Word every day. Like um, that Torah cycle. Yeah, exactly. And it's also kind of cool how if he's studying it and keeping it like correctly, it says so that his heart does not become haughty over his brethren. And it's interesting because like, oftentimes I think that one of the things that is um, applied to people who keep Torah, and unfortunately sometimes is correctly applied to people who keep towards this applied correctly so much to anybody, is you can get, you know, judgmental or full of yourself, Shit. think you're better than other people. Right. And it's interesting that God's ideal is the opposite. But if you spend time in his word every day and you're keeping you really heartfelt keeping his his word, then the result will be that you feel you do not become haughty. You right. look at your people around you and Just you go Ooh boy, wow man, I you know and that's like that, that concept in the Rambam's letter, he's like, I assume that other people are doing sinning ignorantly, and all of my sins are intentional. Yeah. So it flips. Yeah, that's good. It's a it's a excellent focus. Yes, this king is supposed to be a man like Moshe, mm-hmm. right? Who was humble, followed God's commitment. Exactly. Yeah, and we're going to get into that in just a second here. Um, before we do that, yes. Please. I was going to point out she mentioned the uh, earlier in the part was uh, chapter thirteen where it talks about not adding to or taking away, and then where we're just reading it says not going to the left or to the right. And then in that next verse, it's talking about the prophets and the dreamers of a dream. If you go right down to the end of that chapter, it says, Who takes you out of the land of Egypt and who redeems you from the house of slavery to make you stray from the path on which Adonai your God has commanded you to go, you shall destroy that evil from your midst. Again, to purge. Yeah. Purging those people out of you from from your surroundings that are causing you to go to and from. Mm -hmm. It's just obvious. No, we... uh, we read in the prayer. Yes, I just remember Isaac bringing up King's Fargo and this, and it reminds me of Josiah, and then finding right. it dusty and lost. Right, and then and, it, and then reading it, and then reading it, going, "Oh Holy wow, cow. yeah, <laughs> look at this." You know, if if each king in succession would take the time to follow this instruction, then they wouldn't be lost, and they wouldn't the people wouldn't have the Asherah poles and the things that they pass on from. Administration, administration. Because they have a great example, and there would be righteousness from the top down, inside and out. I hadn't seen before that it says the book should be with him. Yeah. I, I knew he had to write one, but. iPad. I mean, you would think. Oh, sorry. That um, the king doing that, that it would be maybe a museum piece, like a tourist attraction, would you like to see the king's handwriting? Here it is. You take a look. That's good. That's it. This is the dish room. This is the Torah room. Yeah. yeah. But uh, the idea of right. kind of it sounds like he should be carrying that with him. Yeah. Since he should read from it every day. Right. It's a very personal thing. It's something that's maybe on his person. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. It's well, neat. Or in his heart. I don't know if it's spiritualized well, that way, but I, I would I would ask you, do you think of Yeshua as a prophet, a priest, or a king? The answer is yes. not yes. We all know it's yes. 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 Yeah, yes. I knew that was Kevin. But, but I think each one of us identifies with him in one over another, uh, at least in my own walk, um, as time goes by, I seem to think of him, well, wow, he, what, a, what a great prophet. And, and of course, like Moses, and we're about to talk about that, but 
I think of him most oftentimes um, not as, you know, a friend who's closer than a buddy, you know, with a little band around my wrist or something, but I think of him as the king. King, Messiah. Especially. Right? Especially now. You bet. So if we think about that, I would ask you, what does, what does the new covenant entail? What's different about it? The Torah is on a different medium. It's actually written on our hearts. Who is writing it? Does it say in Jeremiah 31? The king. The king. Our king. God himself. The king is writing it on our hearts. Well, wait a minute. That's, that's exactly what we're just reading here. That the king needs to write a copy of the Torah. And he's writing it right on my heart. Would you... Somebody have... Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 3. Oh, I have it. Please. What was the verse? 2 Cor 3 3. 3 3. 2 Cor 3 3. 3 3. 3 3. 3 3. 3 3. 3 3. 3 3. 3 3. 3 or fleshy hearts, the Greek. Or fleshy hearts. So, I mean, here is Messiah himself, who is, as Greg is uh, want to remind us during our Torah service, he is the Torah made flesh. He is the living Torah. So here is the living Torah, writing the Torah as king of Israel, rightful king of Israel, on the tablets of our heart. That's really, really cool. Because... In that way, he actually fulfills what you just said, Morgan. He is writing that Torah himself. And, you know, I don't know how he carries it, but um, it's probably going to memorize You know, God is. Yes? Uh, and this makes sense where you see in First Samuel, when the people come to the prophet and say, okay, we want a king like the rest of the nation. Yeah. It wasn't the fact that they wanted a king, necessarily, that they had that, that was the problem. God said... Here, when you come into the land, these are the law for a righteous king, so it's mandated. So it's the, the, the way they asked for a king and the type of king they, they wanted was, was, was the crux of the issue. Exactly. It's not that they wanted a king. He already knew they were going to ask for a king. Right. He's already, before the foundation of the world, provided that king. You bet. Okay, we need to uh, move smartly here. In chapter 18... As we're dashing through, dashing, dashing through the Torah. This is the passage where we learn that we're not supposed to get into, you know, your astrology for the day. Right. Cut out your horoscope. Stop That's reading right. that. That's um, right. Also important here, I think, and this is something that I've been trying to be, well, it's, it's not easy to remember, is the idea of one who reads omens. I think oftentimes, sometimes in life, it's easy to be like, hmm, it's rainy today. That's a bad sign. Or, you know, um, wow, that black cat ran across the front of your car. Or sometimes maybe it's less superstition. Maybe it's things like uh, you, um, boy, that was a really bad start. That's That bodes badly for the rest of the journey. A portent of things to come. And I think that personally from looking at this passage, I think we need to be careful to avoid that. I, Joshua, I couldn't agree with you more. And I want, uh, are you trying to get my attention or are you just fixing that keeper? Okay. Um, it's like, it's like being in an auction. You know, you touch your ear and I'm ready to call it. Um, I, I do think it's important. Um, if it's your habit to read the horoscope in the newspaper, shame on you. Stop doing that. If you go to the Chinese restaurant and they bring you the fortune cookies, don't 
Read the fortune. Even if they're eat the cookie. Don't read the cookie. You can eat the cookie, just don't read the fortune. What's what's the problem? Why would you do that? I'm oh, sorry. What meat? Yes, watch the meat at the Chinese restaurant. A different story. But just eat the paper, right? That's probably the best thing. But but seriously, folks, I, I think really, if we look at it. We should be set apart. We should be different. We should be the ones that don't dabble in such foolishness. Not because we're wiser, but because our God is wiser. And he told us flat out, don't do that. Well, just to your point, Joshua, I would even take it a step further and say the the verse there, um, in English it says, there shall not be found among you any of these things. So not even in books or movies that we have or or any of those things, because, I mean, it goes on to say that this is an abomination to God, and if we love him, then we would hate what he hates. I I can't disagree with you. I hate it, but I can't disagree with you. I mean, um, what's what's the Italian guy that wrote that thing on Disney? It's not Perucci. Um, Peretti, Perizipi. The Italian. There's an Italian guy whose name I think starts with P who wrote an expose on how every stinking movie from from Disney has some type of witchcraft in it. And you're wanting to borrow that book. I hope we have my slam. Also, are your books starting to disappear? Mine are disappearing. My books will. You raise sons, I raise daughters. Yeah, but yeah, maybe maybe you find it very innocent and okay, and and you want to show the Disney for you know, and I can't even name some of these, you know. Um, Pinocchio, you know, whatever it may be, but I mean, The Little Mermaid, yeah. I mean, it's just not worth it, guys. And, and to your point, I think we should purge that evil from our midst. No question. Another comment? Are we moving on? Uh, I'll I'll yes, ma'am. Um, something less obvious, I think, to us is the little word omen. And I think that is such an abstract that we tend to overlook it. But if we are I, I looking, I think he just for, mentioned that while you oh, were out of the room. I but was, go for okay. it. Okay, just that it, you know, we tend to look for direction exactly. in our life. Okay, well, God is clearly able to speak to us in our hearts and give us direction, or through the Word, of course. Um, but to look for little hints of should I go there, should I go there, you know, whatever. We we need to be very careful. You know that we don't fall into that. Um, numbers can be used sometimes this way, um, and I've heard it said several years ago. A very well-known believer, you know, wanting to read into, well, three threes means this or three ones, and maybe there's truth that I don't know about in the scripture about numerical, you know, but I think we have to be very careful that we don't fall into reading into something that really isn't there. I'm reminded of the uh, farmer I heard about who was uh, plowing, and he wasn't doing real well, but he was plowing, and he looked up one day and wiped his brow and saw the clouds had formed a perfect two letters, P-C. He thought right away, well, preach Christ. So he got ready to plow, and he became a pastor and started preaching. And he was a total flop at it. He could barely speak. 
He didn't know the Word of God that well. And he wasn't a very good preacher. Finally, at the end of his life, poor pastor died. He was presenting himself before the king of the universe. He says, Lord, how is it that I did so poorly preaching Christ when that's what you directed me to do? And the Lord put his arm around him and said, PC, plant corn. Oh! <laughs> but I think that let's work on that. That I think is the point of this passage and getting to unpacking on the glorious comment. That's so cool. Um, we are discouraged from looking at oh, there's a raven flying overhead, yes. or wow, my gas tank is like half empty and half means this or whatever. Yeah. You know, I just passed Friday the thirteenth. Yeah, Ooh, exactly. yeah, that's a big one in this, so, in this world. And, and instead, what we do is we rely on God and we look at it, and God says. I gave you prophets, and I've given you the prophet that we're about to read about. But even beyond that, too, like Rabbi Gimpel talks about encouraging righteous men to ask God for signs, to say, God, I believe that you want me to do this. Um, show me a way, show, give me proof, not so that I can like, you know, be fought, led by the proof, in a sense, but confirmation that you're acting and you're speaking so that I can glorify you more. Amen. And I want to interact with you. And that, I think, is the key, is it doesn't become... It's kind of like, uh, it's like we don't want to rely on nature or consequence or luck. We want to rely on God. I want to do my thing and have God bless it. That's the problem. Instead of just doing God's thing. I know for a fact it's incontrovertible. God has called me to be a godly husband. How many of you believe that? I know something else. Absolutely incontrovertible. That God has called me to be a godly husband. Father. How many of you believe that? Can you see how easy this life thing is? Just can work with me. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, Josh, I was going to say that. It is a fine line between looking for omens and asking for signs, because yeah. we know the righteous men ask for signs. Yeah. Like putting out a fleece. Right. That's yeah. a good thing. Yeah, I, I think we all forget the verse that says that we shouldn't do that. But we haven't gotten to that yet, so we'll get there. So, let's move on to what's really important. Yes. Well, I just was going to ask about... Oh, ask me, ask me. About the um, animal <laughs> charmer. The animal charmer. The snake charmer. The snake The snake Oh, yeah, the Indian guy with the... Is that what that means? Or is there some other thing that is? Charming animals. Charming eggs. Snake charmer. Snake charmer. Yeah, I think, matter, I think my daughters have bumped into men that are charming animals as well. The witchcraft of all of these, the Yedoni, whatever, which is what, in the English Bible, translates it differently, but art sort of left that in there because they don't, it's, it doesn't have a good translation because right. that's, that's a, a, a distinct set of essentially witchcraft and sorcery. And again, it, not to, not to, make all these Talmudic points consequences. It's okay, we know you're on the cycle. But again, it's like, what does this mean? I mean, what what constitutes the sorcery of Ob and Yedonia? It's not even words in English. Right. And you have to, and, and the Torah was given in that aspect, and, and keeping that knowledge alive of what that really is, is, is very important. Absolutely. And a good point. All right. Don't talk to Dan. And I think what's also... I, I actually was surprised that necromancy was listed and then talking to dead people, and I thought necromancy was that's talking to dead people. No. Evidently, that's... Romancy. Necromancy. Oh, that's disgusting. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. But, but, but tapping into this... So I need to read my Bible with my dictionary. This reminds me of passage later, a different passage that talks about how... Or the, the, 
um, like God himself will lead you. And the rabbis and sages interpret that as saying, all the rest of the nations have an angelic force that sort of is their like guardian angel, as it were. And if you're thinking that sounds too mystical, read the book of Daniel. There's the prince of Persia, who That's is right. this guy. That's right. So, but God himself will lead the people of Israel. And I think that's interesting in this one. It says, for these nations, they hearken to astrologers, not so as Adonai your God given for you. In other words, it's like, I think personally it's probably wrong for anyone to do these things in a sense, but it's almost like, why would you want to dabble in what is for the losers in the group? They get to follow all this... They're outside. They're the ones following the demonic forces that are incomplete, that have made no promises, that have no real power. Read the back of the book. We win. They lose. So in this case, it's like, follow God, who is in complete control, whose promises you can trust whose wisdom you can bank on, relying on circumstances, luck or consequences, or is, in some of these cases, dead people, which makes you wonder about the wisdom of following them. Like, okay, you are dead, so obviously something didn't work out for you, um, versus following God. That's the answer. The living God. Amen. Yes, yes, sir. I don't think it's a mistake that right after the verse that you just read, then it says, the Lord your God will raise up a prophet among, from mm-hmm. among you. And it, then it goes into that whole thing that relates to Yeshua. That's exactly right. And a great segue. Thank you, Greg. That's what I've been trying to get the whole no time. No longer dead. Oh, boy. Who, yet? Who, would like, who would like to read uh, this paragraph from 1522 for us with a robust voice? Please, Jeremiah. God, your God, will establish a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers, and you must listen to him. This is what you asked from God, your God, at Horeb, on the day of assembly, saying, I don't want to hear the voice of God, my God, anymore, or see this great fire, so that I will not die. God said to me, They have spoken well. I will establish for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words into his mouth, and he will tell them everything that I command him. And then, if anybody does not listen to my words that he speaks in my name, I will punish him with death from heaven. But if a prophet intentionally utters a word in my name, which I did not command him to say, or he speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet prophet must be put to death. If you will say to yourself, how will we know if a, decla- a declaration was not said by God? The answer is, If the prophet claims to speak in the name of God, and the thing does not occur, and you see that it will never come about, then it is a declaration which God did not say. The prophet has spoken it to deceive you intentionally. Do not be afraid of him. Okay, a couple of points I want to make, and then we'll start talking about the parallels here. Um, First, I noticed this year that I actually should be in fear of the prophet. So the buddy part doesn't work. The buddy part doesn't cut it. I'm supposed to be in fear of the prophet because he will speak the words of God Almighty to me and I need to heed his words. And if I don't, it will not be good for me. So what a friend would have in Jesus doesn't work. It doesn't really cut it. If you think of Messiah Yeshua as a prophet, and I hope we're going to demonstrate that to you in just a moment. So that's the first thing, that that should be my normal response to the prophet. And if you're reading through Kings or Chronicles and First and Second Samuel and so on, you you see that when you know the the nasty kings, you know, whoa man, here's this prophet. What do we have to do with you, oh burdener of guys? You know, 
And he, you know, he just he doesn't want to see the guy, right? Because he's in fear. And then, like the you know, random bears just leap out of the woods. Don't you hate when like, disrespectful kids? Bald you know? guy. Like, Whoops. <laughs> yeah. Which also should remind you not to make fun of anyone who is uh, balding. Hair challenge. Hair challenge. Follically challenge. That's right. Follically challenge. And in the back end of verse 20, I also saw this year, we just just finished with the two and three witness deal, right? And stoning, which by the way is not small stones. You use big rocks. It's It's a big deal. Okay? Did you notice here that it says that same prophet shall die. How does that how does that happen? I mean we're talking about this this guy's evil, right? You don't need to be afraid of him. He's evil. If he's speaking presumptuously as the English standard says. So we he's evil. We need to purge the evil from our midst. How does this prophet die? Does God just strike him? Yeah. We get two or three witnesses and we take the prophet out. We're going to stone the guy. That certainly cuts short the whole resume for prophets, I think, and, and people lining up to take the job. People are, go, people are going to seminary. For that's right. Job. I don't want to you be. You could die for that's right. And that's some, right. And some of God's real prophets did suffer that type of right. wrath from the people because they didn't like what the prophet had to say. And, and they, in some cases, found reasons to to, to pick up on it. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and tying into that, think about it, like in James, where it says, don't leave any teachers, because then you will face a, a stricter judgment. Exactly. Yeah. And you see a prophet in one of the it kings or whatever, and God says, okay, don't eat anything. And he goes and gives this prophecy, and like God acts, and the world is going amazing, and he rides home, and someone's like, he's, he's, "Don't go! Don't stop anywhere on your way home, right?" Mm-hmm. And he says, well, he's, "I think specifically, he's telling them not to eat." And then the guy pulls him aside and says, "Hey, you're, you look really famished. God told me that you should eat this." Right. So then the dude goes off, and he has a has meal. A meal. And then and then he runs into a lion who has a meal. Yeah, so right. like the we see this so we see this concept that when you read when you when you take on a role as a teacher that that. The level, the standard you are held to, mm-hmm. is higher. Amen. And mm-hmm. if you take on a role as a prophet who's been told not to eat a roll, <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> the society with Elisha, I believe, where they went into famine, yeah. and the king came to him and said, "Why have you not prayed to your God to relieve us of this of this famine? We, we need some water. Yeah, pray for rain. Exactly. All right. Well, I have uh, been reminded of uh, Rabbi Gimpel's. Joshua study, uh, which I, I, I very much enjoyed, um, but uh, and he makes a couple of dings in there to the Christians, so you know you want to take that with a grain of salt and consider his perspective. But it is uh, is good stuff. But at one point he uh, he makes it clear. I mean, there's no way Jesus could be this prophet that he's spoken about as paralleling or following after Moses. But actually, he says it was Joshua. It was Joshua. Wanted to say that I think he doesn't say anything about Jesus when he's talking about the prophet. He doesn't say it couldn't be. He says it was Joshua. Gotcha. And so we can listen to it and go, it was Joshua, and it was also Messiah. 
Okay. Like that. Short term, long term. I like that. Short term, long term. Okay. I think though that the scripture is going to teach us that it couldn't be Joshua. Mm-hmm. What do we know about this prophet that Moses is talking about? Can you tell me what it says. Yes. Come from the, from your brethren. Come from a bro- your brethren. So he, so Ishmael's not going to cut. Probably not going to be a Muslim. Okay. <laughs> just, just, you know, just yeah, so he's going to be fit the bill. Muhammad doesn't cut it. So he's going to be Jewish. And, and, I mean, to me, the, the, the big thing is like unto you, Moses. Right. Like unto me, what Moses is saying. Right, right. And right before that, he says, like unto me. To and, the and so that means we're looking for a prophet that has at least Moses's same caliber, if you will. Yes. Right? And, 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 you know, Judaism is very clear on this point. There is no other greater prophet. Moshe Rabbeinu, top shelf. And specifically, we have to look at what did Moses do. Okay, so we've got some attributes of Moses that are going to tell us about this new prophet. Or the origin of Moses, I mean the conception of Moses, I mean, the miracle birth of Moses. Okay, so we've got a miracle birth to Moses. We've got uh, a miracle salvation of Moses after he's born. We've got, what's his character? Moses is the humble, humble, meekest guy on the planet. Okay, that's reminding me of someone too. A little vert, I mean, miraculous birth and salvation after birth from foes of God's people. What else? They were both called out of Egypt. Both called out of Egypt. Well, Moses was called out of Egypt. Good, I like that. And who took them out of Egypt? Moses. Moses. He's the redeemer. Okay. What about this part? Well, yeah, only person to ever speak with God face to face. In fact, we're commanded to remember what God did to Miriam on the way out of Egypt. What did he do to Miriam? Zarat. She got leprous, right? Outside the camp because she spoke against his anointed one. He spoke. She spoke against Moses. So that was a real problem. Why did God say you should never even think about speaking against Moses? special in that Why is he special? God spoke to him mouth to mouth. Mouth to mouth, face to face, proskanta, us right, face to face. He's the extension of God on earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Moshe backwards, Hashem. That's, All right. That's, <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> Moshe backwards, Hashem. And it means that's right that water, but Moshienu means our Savior, which its root is Yeshua. That's cool stuff. This is all great. This is all great. But this is the guy who speaks face to face with God, not in visions, not in dreams, and so forth. Right? So face to face, one then one. Well, and again, I'm reminded of the passage in the Gospels when uh, Yochan Hamakbil, John the Immerser, is imprisoned, right? And this is before he was killed, and he's wondering, you know, he's wondering if this, Yeshua... Is this right, the guy? So he sends some messengers to Yeshua, and he tells the messengers, go ask him if he's the one we are, you know, that we're looking for, or should we look for another, right? Mm-hmm. Which is which is a connection back to the prophet that was prophesied. Right, right? exactly right. And what was Yeshua's response? He didn't say, yeah, I'm the one, or... He responded and he said, Go tell Yochanan that the blind see, 
the deaf hear, mm. the lame walk. Okay, and and so the messenger goes back, and presumably that settles the issue. That works for him for for Yochanan. Well, why is that, right? And you have to go back to the story in Exodus chapter three of Moses' first face-to-face encounter with Hashem at the burning bush. And if you remember the story, Moses gets into a argument with God about, well, I, you know, I'm not the guy to go down and redeem your people. I mean, I'm just, I can't talk. I mean, I, you know, me? Yeah, sure. I got a first name like Charleston. What's that? And, <laughs> and, um, there's, and so there's this, this argument that goes on for several verses. And at one point, Hashem kind of gets upset and yeah. he says, look. His anger burned against him. He says, who gives eyes sight? I do. Who gives hmm. the, the, the mouth the ability to speak? I do. Who allows the ear to hear? Mm. I do. Right? Wow. So when Yeshua responded with that same phraseology, what Yeshua was saying is, I am the prophet. I would just kind of say I'm Hashem, but he's also connecting back to the prophet here. Absolutely. And that's why it settled the issue for Yochanan. What did uh, what they say? The uh, Pharisees, uh, I think it was the Pharisees, who came up to him, and they want to know who he is. And where did you get the story? Who, who are you? Are you the prophet? Or are you a Elijah? Who I always thought was the prophet. I mean, we call him Eliyahu Hanavi. He's Elijah, the prophet. That's the only guy we call the prophet, right? But apparently, there's two different two different people. There's the prophet. Who's that? It's the guy we're reading about right now, right? And then there's Elijah. And what's Elijah going to do? He's going to be the forerunner to the prophet. And of course, he was, and he did, and will be again. So, um, take a look at Deuteronomy 34, 9 and 10, please. Just to kind of refute whether Joshua fits the bill. Deuteronomy 34, 9 and 10. Who's got that? Who wants to read that? And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for, for Moshe had laid his hands on him. So the people of... Israel obeyed him and did and did as the Lord commanded Moshe. And there was not, and there has not risen a prophet since in Israel like Moshe, whom the Lord knew face to face. So here you have an absolute slam dunk that even after Joshua gets filled with the spirit of wisdom and gets a a, a boatload of Moses's chutzpah put on him. Right after that happens, we're told. We still don't have a guy like Moses. Still. Just, we haven't had a guy like that. This is the guy. Boom, boom, boom. Well, God gave a confirmation of this at the, uh, at the Transfiguration, mm-hmm. where uh, he spoke, this is my chosen one, mm-hmm. and he uses the same phrase that Moses used here. Listen to him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What, what a great parallel. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and once again, we've got these little sound bites being used by these biblical people that if you've got a biblical lifestyle, a Torah mindset, harkens back to when it was first used and, 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 to, and to what it's Moses was there. Exactly. Exactly right. Well, and just to pick up on that point, 
in verse verse 19, it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken to the words which he, the prophet, will speak in my name, I will require it of him. Mm-hmm. And you know, this this is you know, there's a there's a lot to unpack here, but one of the things here is we need to make sure that we are um, that we are telling and sharing people uh, sharing with people Jew and Gentile about who the prophet is right because they need to hearken to the prophet because to the extent they don't it will be required of them it will be required of them Mm -hmm. right and this is, of course, one, you know, when we look at our Jewish brethren who have been taught now for centuries to, uh, for, from, yeah, for millennia now, to, um, to recoil at the name of Jesus, mm-hmm. right? And, of course, we all know all of the baggage and all the historical reasons for all of that, yeah. right? And you can't dismiss that. But at the end of the day, that's not an excuse for them they will it will be required of them to the extent that they continue to um, disregard the prophet. That's exactly and right. so that should that should encourage us and motivate us and motivate us to make sure we are um, communicating with everybody, Jew and Gentile, who the prophet of God is. And I think excellent point. I think it's it's important to note that the verse that talks about God putting the words in your mouth so you'll know what to say is only for those who are A, brought up before government officials, and B, about to be killed. It has absolutely nothing to do with a believer who's sitting down with a pagan or somebody else and expects God to put some words in their mouth. It's not going to happen. Well, it can happen. God is God. But that's not what he expects. He expects us to study and show ourselves approved. A workman that can accurately handle the word of truth. Who can present good, biblical, sound doctrine from the scriptures. Excellent. Good point. There was another hand. Yes? No, I was pointing you. The, uh, we'd be really wise to remember that, that the, uh, the disciples, the apostles, used this concept of, and I agree with the king idea of uh, Messiah but um, and, and Christianity is really in, in most in most part clueless as to the origins of the concept of Messiah mm-hmm. and and because because the scriptures do not speak of the Messiah uh, in, in the Tanakh right in the singular it's not in no. that way so, yeah, so, a lot of so to know so to know about Messiah means they have they, they inherited this intertestament concept uh, that was that was a fleshing out of this passage, and the first uh, disciples and the apostles they took this idea of the prophet and they said the prophet is Messiah, and this is who he is. It's this person, and when we when we when we reflect on this, we need to remember that this is a uh, this is not something easily spelled out, written out in plain black and white. Uh, that we can all just, oh, we know all this. Uh, the only reason we know it is because uh, godly men, God spoke through them 
and it was recorded for us, otherwise right. we would be clueless right. as to who Messiah is, or that there even is such a thing as Messiah. In, in, in the Greek language, prior to the use of Christos by the apostles, there was no such thing. It was not used. Gruber, in, uh, in that purple book, what's the, what's the Copernicus, and the Jews. Copernicus and the Jews, he does a great layout of how Christos was just kind of, I mean, it's, it's literally the word for anointed one. They took it from the Hebrew and said, well, anointed one, and it, that's Christos in, in Greek. But you have no concept of what the whole history of what that means unless you've got that whole Hebrew mindset and you're going back to the scriptures. This verse we're reading now is what definitively ties our faith to Judaism, not to some new faith for Gentiles. Jews were told, Moses is the guy. He's totally unique. But I will raise up another one just like him. And this guy that's going to come, you need to listen to. Now let's follow this guy down through the prophets and the rest of time until he comes. Jews were waiting for the Jewish Messiah. Jews were waiting for the prophet. Got this guy shows up. The religious leaders show up and go, are you the prophet? I mean, doing some really wonderful stuff. Love what you do. Love the hairdo. Everything's great. Wow, great CT. Are you the prophet? Are you Elijah? They're waiting. Even even a a half Jew, a half breed, not sure, asks, "Where's the where's where is the Messiah going to be born?" And they knew. Then if you go look it up, wow, the Messiah's going to be born. I never thought of that. We should we should go back to the study hall. Let me figure that out. No, they knew right away. <coughs> Bethlehem of Frata, They knew. They were waiting for him. It's a Jewish thing. Not only were they waiting, they were actually rightly expecting the Messiah to show up at that point in history. They they knew from the they knew from the scriptures that the Messiah was on schedule to make an appearance. They they were expecting him and rightly so. They just you know again that's a whole other class. But, but, but you're exactly were, right. They were not waiting, but they were also expecting to come when he did. They had that right. That's right. And, and quite frankly, guys, if you don't think that that's possible, or that you don't think that's the way it is, read the book of Daniel. And you'll find that he's reading the book of Jeremiah. Daniel's reading Jeremiah. It's about this time frame. They're in captivity. Daniel's reading the prophet, and he goes, well, it's time. I mean, we, we need to start praying now, because it's time for God to let us go back into the land. God had already told them what the time frames were. And he did the same thing there as well. So, there it is. Other comments? Yes. Um, just going on to the, toward the end of this section, talks about, and this is such a great question. Having just said, if you, if my prophet speaks, you need to hear him and I'll exact from you if you don't, God then follows up with people saying, well, how, how are we going to know like, if it's you talking or not? Um, you say in your heart, how can we know the word that Adonai has not spoken? Like, right. okay, it's not really from God. How are we supposed to know this? And he says, um, if a thing does not occur and has not come about. Uh, it's interesting, if you think about Yeshua, his prophecies about the temple and about armies surrounding Jerusalem and yep. whatever else happened exactly. Um, whereas in more recent days, there's been 
how many times is the world supposed to end? It was like May 24th, <laughs> yeah, and then September something. Three. And then, like, it was. So we can completely disregard that guy. Exactly. Doesn't matter what he says now, because right. we know he's not a right prophet. Actually, and you don't get it in general. Yeah, that's right. And you don't get a second chance. See, that's the thing. You don't get a second chance. Oh, I miscalculated. That's right. No, Abacus messed up, by, and it wouldn't be was to the right. So, so <laughs> next time he comes out and says the world is ending on June third, we can just kind of go. Yeah. Hebrews chapter three, the verse, first three verses. Listen to Peter. Actually, listen to my son Peter read the book of Hebrews. Mm-hmm. Not implying that Peter wrote Hebrews. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. We don't think he did. Therefore, holy brothers. You who share in a heavenly calling, consider Yeshua the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. For Yeshua has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Bam! I'll tell you what, folks. Unless you're reading the scriptures and you're understanding the concept that we are reading about today, you cannot recognize and understand that the writer of Hebrews just hit the ball out of the park. He is definitively saying, we were told to look for the prophet, this man Yeshua is that prophet. No two ways about it. And that's his summation of the first two chapters in the letter of Hebrews. That's it. And if you don't have much regard for Moses, what regard would you have for this one? (laughs) Well, you know, you, you bring up a good point. That whole... That whole dissing of Jews in general, or just saying, you know, well, Moses was just another guy, and you know, it was politically expedient for him to do that. He got to be the, the guy in charge of the. Whoa, not not wise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, check your hand. That's right. What's? I still get old flesh. Okay, um, right? Not wise, not that. biblical, <laughs> and not honoring. To your Messiah. If you diss Moses, you diss the prophet. Moses said that. You don't believe Moses, how are you going to Yeshua believe said Yeshua that. Said that. That's right. Yeshua said that. Yeah, you, if you didn't believe Moses, why, why would you believe me? There's another tie back. It's great. <coughs> it's great. All right, we're uh, the fanny, uh, what's what the mind can only endure what the fanny can endure, or something like that. Absorb the man can only absorb what the fanny can endure, I think is what it is. All right. It's, it's a true thing. Um, let's talk about trees real quick. I think it's uh, interesting here in uh, chapter 20, when you go out to war, don't be afraid. I'm sorry? Right, cities of refuge. Do you want to talk about cities of refuge? Well, I just, I'm just curious about the whole thing. It says... Um, now, if, if, if the iron leaves the wood and finds your fellow, what should you do? Run. Run, man. That's it. That's the right answer. Well, Run. Most people would want to go home and talk to their dad or talk to their wife. Yeah, we had a little problem there. Ralph got hit with the head of the axe. It came off the, the thing. And, you know, I really... <laughs> Run! Yeah. Well, I only got till sundown. I find it interesting that we have... Get a lawyer later. We have this being talked about, the whole witness issue, where it's like, oh, you got to have witnesses or else, you know, it's not justice. But then we have this thing, so people are running. So the assumption I've read, you know, when the first time I'm reading this, not this week, but just in the past when I read this, is like, oh, okay. So we're talking about, you know, so you have a, the the... The Thirty-five lumberjacks yeah. in the in the woods. But you have the redeemer of blood who's going, you know, I'm going to kill you, and he's not really in the right, but he's going to go and do that. And this is this is a, an out for that. But then it says, however, if a man hates his fellow, lies in wait for him, rises up against him, and issues him a fatal blow, and he dies, 
and then the murderer flees to one of these cities, the others of the city should send representatives and take him from there and allow him to die at the hands of the Avenger of the Blood. And it's like, I'm assuming that there's maybe a justice thing going on there, but it doesn't sound like it. It sounds like it's like, oh, you accident, you, you killed someone on purpose, made it look like it was accidental, and then ran, and you see cities of refuge. You don't have a formal process, but they figure out, oh, hey, you're actually guilty. Shove you out and let the guy kill you. I, I can understand where you're coming from. I don't think that we can jettison the formal process thing, because he just went through great pains to tell us the formal process. Okay. So I think we're still there. Well, but I, I think, you know, the, the initial focus is if something happens by accident, because he's been talking about the blood, you don't want innocent blood shed on this ground. Maybe on their ground, but this is your ground. I'm giving, you need to keep this clean. So you need to deal with it. So when that happens, if the iron leaves the wood and finds the ship out. hyperlink in the scroll right there. That's right. Back to the original thing. Because you, you can go. But it's not enough for the murderer. No. Yeah. So the, the, man, the man who's guilty, though, that's what they're saying, is like if, you're, if, if the people, the elders of the city figure out, oh, hey, this guy's actually guilty, then they, go they back have the two the witnesses. Then right. they go back, now we've got the process. process. That's and right. Instead of stoning him right there and then in the city, instead you go hand him to the, the uh, Redeemer of the Blood, the Avenger of the Blood, and say, you deal with him. See, now the Italians. Got this done. <laughs> Vendetta means remember. Mafia. Right. Yeah, I, I think you guys cover. I was just going to say the fact that we have the city of refuge that allows the uh, involuntary murderer to preserve his own life for a day so that the avenger of blood in his passion doesn't take his life doesn't mean that there's not the due process to exactly. figure out what actually happened. And to the extent it's determined that it wasn't involuntary, then all We're, we're going back into the city of refuge and hauling your butt out of there. And exactly right. And I think you know, we need to make note that we, we read either before or after, I guess it's after, that you can't leave there. Mm-hmm. You've got to stay there now until the high priest dies. Until the high priest dies. Which is a cool connection. It really, I mean, that's a, like you said, it's a whole other class. And then when you get into the days of Messiah and you find out you've got two or three high priests running around, what's up with that? I mean, totally corrupt. But I think that when you, when you read this passage and it says, because his heart will be hot within him, mm. I think it's interesting Like there are times in Scripture where God intentionally puts things in knowing our own weakness, knowing that we're human and we're frail. So he creates the cities of refuge knowing that the Redeemer of the blood in that moment, isn't going to be thinking about the process. Vendetta. He's angry. He's bitter. He's hurt. You know, you killed my brother. I'm coming after you. Maybe, maybe that's wrong, but God recognizes that some people are going to probably try and do that. Take Joey Zaza out. We're going to, so God intentionally builds a protection system, and then he makes a point of saying, make sure you've got enough of these cities, and they have a highway. You're going to have to add three more, right? They're clean, and it's easy to get to, because if, in that moment, that dude's going to be pretty mad, and yeah. you don't want him to find the guy. It's like it's almost like God's not giving an excuse, but he's saying it's it's probably going to happen. Yeah. So let's be careful here. And I think that that's, that's really beautiful. And then on the flip side, it's interesting to contrast. If the person commits idolatry, the witnesses stone him. In this case, if the person commits murder, the redeemer of the blood takes care of it, which I think is an interesting concept in that it's like... Um, you look at movies and the types of things that deal with the issue of families who feel like their justice has been lost. And 
it creates a bitterness that ends up destroying them. I mean, there's even films about people taking vendettas out because they, oh, yeah. you know, vigilante justice. Yeah. God recognizes that when you lose a family member, something very traumatic and horrific has happened. Yeah. And I think the concept of the Redeemer of Blood um, is, is a, a profound divine insight into the significance well, I, of what I, I think you've got a great class to teach on Redeemer of the Blood versus the Kinsman Redeemer and that whole parallel and how there's an overlap there. It's, it's good stuff. Other kind of yes? It's just really cool how, like you were saying, you, something happens right there and then it's like, run! You have to. Get, get to the... And it's interesting because, of course, everybody would go to the closest one to mm-hmm. them. Sure. You would be leaving the body there, so yeah. then that comes right into when you find a you random find, body. Find a body, field. yeah. What do you yeah. do? You measure to the, where's the closest city of refuge, and that's now, where you go. Now, wait a minute. That's probably <laughs> where the guy is. This is, is Shmuel's iron. <laughs> and look, Shmuel's axe is missing the iron. It looks like it found his fellow. You must watch a lot of CSI. CSI, right? Obviously, <laughs> you don't. <laughs> and then, uh, then it kind of makes interesting comments about like the city of refuge. Hmm. Shmuel is the new guy in town. That's right. <laughs> I wonder what happened. Yeah. yeah. Shmuel just gave my picture. That's right. Hey. Yo, Sam. Why, why, are you, why are you here? Buddy? What do you want? That's probably. Why that is fresh? It's probably a discouraged misuse of it too, because everyone knows it's like. If I kill someone and then try to play it off as an accident, then people are going to figure things out. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think it goes right back to our founding fathers again. We kind of opened with this. Our founding fathers made it clear that our form of government is wholly inadequate for a non-Christian people. If they don't have in them the desire to be obedient to the law, no outward regulation could possibly cause them to be righteous. It can't happen. So, that was John Adams, I believe. If there's... If, if you don't have within you the desire to to do right, all bets are off to begin with. Right. You cannot legislate righteousness because righteousness ultimately is a function of a relationship. That's right. You can legislate morality. We do it all the time. It's unfortunately not my morality or yours, <laughs> but but you can't legislate righteousness. That's exactly right. Since we're talking about the... You mentioned the, the thing in the field when you find a dead body. Right. Um, I mean, we... Just skip ahead for a second. We can poor red cow later. But I think that passage is really powerful because it says a heifer who's never been used for plowing, right. and then it's in a valley that can't be sown or plowed. Right. And the first thing that came to my mind listening to it this week, or was the idea that it was like it's like it failed to meet its purpose. It's like hmm. if you think about a valley, like a useless spot. Think about a valley. Yeah, that can't be. It's like how it, it missed its point. A heifer that can't that can't work like. It, it, it's like a tragic element to it. And I think that, in a sense, it's what God sees with this dead person. It's like, here's someone whose life ended, not prematurely because God is sovereign, but in a sense, it's as though it was premature. It's Tragically like, missed the purpose. They missed the purpose. They didn't get a chance to that's fulfill good. all that they could yeah. have done. And I think that that's the whole Redeemer of Blood, that whole idea, it comes back to God takes human life so very seriously. He's really serious about blood. I mean, I don't, I don't know if you've just been reading about the pouring the blood on the ground and the meat and the, yeah, you know, now the people dying. I mean, he is really, really serious about blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood, and he's serious about that. When I read these things, I don't know if you do this. I like to listen for sounds. I'm reading, and I'm trying to hear what it sounds like. You know, like when the iron leaves the wood <laughs> and finds his fellow. What does that 
<laughs> sound like, right? <laughs> Crap! That's what you hear, and then you hear. That's <laughs> a guy throw it away. So I, I try to get the sounds down because I want to live this. I want this word in me. But you know what? I also try and picture it. The whole sandal thing is tough for me. It really is. But here's these guys probably wearing sandals. And now, did you ever try and think about the field? I mean, the valley you just talked about? You can't plow in it, which means it's probably not level and looking good. It's probably full of rocks. But somebody, probably the Levi, has to bring a cow down there. Okay, come on, Betsy. No, 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 don't come back. That's got to be tough. And then when you get them down there, it's good we're killing them. Because there's no way we're getting the cow back up out of here. Let me tell you. Well, did anybody bring a car jack? What are we going to do? We got the flying water going. Yeah, that's right. Reminded me that in our culture, if somebody runs from a crime scene, it indicates guilt. That's right. But in the Bible, why'd you flee the scene? It means you're innocent. That's good. Yeah, you've been listening to my sounds for many years. And and tying into that whole concept is we mentioned earlier that he goes to the city of refuge, even if he's innocent, he has to stay until the priest leaves. That's right. The priest dies. Yeah. It's it's like a form of imprisonment in a sense. Yeah. They have to leave their home and their family I mean, not you know, their, their immediate family, but their community that well, they've been in. They've been exiled. So what if you think about that in that concept, it God says even in voluntary manslaughter, it was a complete accident. There's still a consequence. Mm-hmm. It right. still was dramatic That's and good. awful. That's good. There's still a consequence to the action. That's good. Yeah. Next time, a couple of nails in the top of that yeah. accident, right? Hold that sucker back on. Well, and, I mean, just no. to take this logic all the way through, like, what if the Avenger of Blood wasn't hot? He was, you know, this, this poor guy who's... Slow old guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's a old guy, and he can't run to the... Good <laughs> Get the walker. Get the walker. Right. So I think and not only does this give the opportunity for the man to see... You know, shelter, but it gives opportunity for the Avengers of the Blood to show mercy, mm-hmm. compassion, That's good. and that to me is the better testimony. Like, yeah, they have all right to kill this this man yeah. and deprive his family of a breadwinner and whatnot. But they, I mean, not every case has to or should end this way. This yeah, doesn't have to leave. It. I agree. That's a good point, Jonathan. We should recognize that it doesn't need to be this way, and it ought not to be this way if we truly have our hearts right before God. You bet. Good. And when we're talking about trees and yeah. axe heads flying off, yes, I think God's compassion Hewing, comes up again in an amazing way in this discussion of warfare, which is building siege works. That's where we're going works. now. And he said, he says, don't chop down the fruit trees because you can eat those. And it, it's really cool. He says, he says, uh, <laughs> is the tree in the field out? a man <laughs> that it should enter the siege before you? In other words, it's like. What did the tree do to you? That's right. But it's kind of cool if you think about, like, again, thinking back to the compassion of God. I mean, this is the God who is the creator of the entire universe. It's almost like you can sense a feeling of, of that, like, that creator warmth and compassion and care for all of his creation. It's like, yes. I get that you're supposed to eat the fruit. Go for it. You're supposed to. You're supposed to take dominance over the land. But don't abuse it. Don't mistreat it. Don't don't be reckless and violent with no reason. And so if you think, I think even like the Judy, um, I think Judaism even talks about this concept here. It's like if you don't chop down the trees, I mean, think about like you're in warfare. Like everyone's hot and they're angry and they're intense and it's like you know violence is just coming naturally because that's what you're trying to do. And it's like whoa, whoa calm down. 
Don't chop down that tree. It's a pear tree. Chop the cedar over there, you can go after. That's right. God it's, has a thing against trees that don't bear fruit. That's right. But that's well, true. But do you think about like this? It's like it's almost like God's intentionally trying to add a level of compassion and grace into this violent act of war because mm. it's like this is not the way that you should always be. Don't think that just because you're in warfare, you have carte blanche to give in to this fleshly anger and hatred. Right. You still have to act morally That's right. even then. That's right. Good. Excellent. Yes, sir. Uh, Matthew 3, uh, starting in verse 10. This is. Yeah, uh, we read that as part of our Torah service, yes? Mm-hmm. yes? Matthew 3. So the axe is already laid at the root of the trees, therefore every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Statement from John. <coughs> Pardon me, that's where I was going to go to close this all out. I had always thought it was the next part of that that had tied that the, that the master had tied it back to. What's the, what's the other reference he goes through later in that uh, same passage? At, uh, as for me, I baptize you in the water of repentance, but he was coming after me, he's mightier than I, and I'm not fit to yeah. in sandals. Right. So I thought that that whole passage was focused only on this is the prophet. But you get the whole tree thing, right. and the axe head, and the iron leaving the wood, and finding your fellow, and chopping down the trees that don't bear fruit, and the master takes out the tree. Go. Right, so when it says, um, is a tree a man? Yes. Actually, yes. <laughs> so there's kind of like a, there's sort of a play here because... You know, uh, Psalm 1, the Psalm righteous one. man is like a tree. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's, there, there is an understanding that each, the trees are like men, right? And the, and if you're not bearing fruit, then you are an unfruitful tree, right? And unfruitful trees Get will be destroyed. And, and, burned. Burned. and burned. And burned. It's all going to burn, baby. That's it. So it's important when he says, don't cut down the fruitful trees, right? So... At one level, he's saying the the those uh, you know how we're going to track the the righteous, the zadokim, those who are you know who exhibit the fruit of a of, of of a life that is following God, do not touch them. Excellent. Final comment before we close. a prayer in our prayers that I really appreciated. May it be your will, Adonai, our God, and the God of our forefathers, that we observe your decrees in this world and merit that we live and see and inherit goodness and blessing in the years of messianic times and for the life of the world to come. So that our souls might sing to you and not be stilled, Adonai, our God, forever will we thank you. Blessed is the man who trusts in Adonai, then Adonai will be his security. Trust in Adonai forever, for in God... Adonai is the strength of the world.
Amen. Amen. Good job. Good discussion, y'all. Y'all.